Welcome to Live Let Thrive, a podcast about the Airbnb life, the share economy, and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Micah and Steve. Hello, hello, hello. And welcome back to another exciting episode of Live Let Thrive. What is up, Micah, man? I am good, Stevie Stacks. It's an exciting Saturday. So uh, how are you? How are you today? Yeah, a rare Saturday episode. I'm great, man. Um, I, I'm excited about this episode. It's episode 151, and we have a very special guest today. Uh, Mr. Alvin Hope Johnson is joining us. Give it up for and, Alvin. Go ahead. Yeah, okay. If you don't mind, I'll read a quick bio about um, Alvin Hope Johnson. Alvin Hope Johnson has been in real estate in the real estate industry for over 35 years, starting out as a handyman selling painting and repair services door-to-door. Alvin grew his entrepreneur skills into an empire. He currently serves as the president of Hope Housing Foundation, an affordable housing company that offers beautifully well-maintained and safe properties. Alvin also serves as president of Assertive Management Group, LLC, a privately owned property management firm that helps to support the foundation. Alvin Johnson started his career in his real estate career almost by accident while struggling at a young age to make ends meet and picking up odd jobs here and there. Alvin continued to take his skills and he learned along the way to and parlay them into new opportunities. Starting out as a local handyman, Alvin eventually became a general contractor and from there Alvin began learning about property development and mortgages. He spent 12 years in the mortgage business and ran several successful firms. He soon realized that all of these seemingly separate industries were well part of a larger opportunity in real estate. When you know every single aspect of what goes on into building a safe and stunning home, it will help you to sell that safe and stunning home. Alvis focused on doing just that in order to bring a sense of community to those in need. We'll, we'll stop there and then we'll get into it. Man, whoever wrote that was good. <laughs> <laughs> what is up, I Alvin? Have to hire that person. I didn't write that. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> That's real. Oh tough. man, so how you doing, Alvin? Yeah. Man, I'm good. I'm good. Just yeah. glad to be here with you guys on a Saturday. Thanks for arranging your schedule so, so to accommodate. I really appreciate it. I don't oh, think thanks you for, for reading yours. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I know we read a little bit about your bio. So, how did you just come into your first deal in real estate? Well, in this, uh, let's start with the multifamily piece because because mm-hmm. I've been in real estate so long. Man, the way I got started in this seat, I went and found a guy that I wanted to be just like. So I prayed for a mentor. Uh, in every area of my life, business, marriage, um, and everything. And this guy fit that bill. Well, he helped me for about three weeks. He took three of my phone calls after meeting him, and he quit taking my calls. But he told me he was going to help me, so I wasn't going to take no for an answer. So I called him or emailed him every week for a year, and after a year he finally answered and let me come hang out with him for 30 days. That 30 days turned into 13 months. And after 13 months, he died in a car wreck. And I became the president of a billion and a half dollar foundation. And uh, I successfully walked that through a bankruptcy. And after that was over with, I got fired. Well, I knew about broken partnerships at that point. You know, I Mm. sat there and unwound a billion and a half dollar company for two years with some thousand dollar an hour attorneys. And I saw an opportunity 
by picking up properties that had broken partnerships with uh, GPs that could not keep the properties up. And that's where we started. So wow. my first property was a 110 unit deal that we bought for a million four because the partnership was broken. Today that deal's worth 7 million. We're recapping it next month and uh, doing our second refinance on it. Now, now you, uh, that's, that's amazing what you said right there because you answered one of my questions I actually had, you know, I was going to ask um, what was your, your, um, I guess your, your best setback or your, 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 your favorite adversity that you went through and what has it led to. And apparently, I mean, you want, you, by navigating through that bankruptcy and discovering, you know, <laughs> how, how affect, how um, broken partnerships could really affect things. You learn to take advantage of broken partnerships. That's amazing. Yeah. I'll tell you my greatest adversity, man, for me personally happened when my son was three years old and I tried to kill myself. Oh. I put a 38 to my head, pulled the trigger a couple of times and it didn't go off. And then I went and took a bottle of nitroglycerin pills. Um, nitroglycerin pills are for heart patients. They put one under their tongue and it goes into the bloodstream and it explodes to blow your heart up to make your heart pump. Well, I took a bottle of those and uh, uh, I remember going to sleep saying, God, man, if you got a purpose for my life, then, then I'll be okay. And if you don't, Please have mercy on my soul. Well, I woke up 10 days later, man, in the hospital and said, boy, you really are a loser, right? So from that perspective of being at your lowest low where I knew I couldn't even kill myself, then that's the lowest low. So everything from there is up. I couldn't even quit. Could, could we ask what led to that point? Yeah. So I had been a, uh, I had been a millionaire by the time I was 20, 21 years old. Literally, money in the bank. Uh, this was in 1987. By 1989, uh, on my son's third birthday, we were sitting around a table, and I couldn't even buy him a uh, Hot Wheel car. Oh, literally. wow. Uh, we were getting put out of our house that day. The lights were getting cut off that day, and I just I literally thought my family would be better off without me. Uh, I felt like a burden. I felt like a loser. I had had so much money, such a great business to lose it all or to not be able to take care of my family was like, like the lowest low, man. For a man, you know, we a lot of times associate who we are with what we do. And when what we do is not a defining thing for us anymore, we lose our identity. And I didn't have anybody to talk to. I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have anybody not forget, look like me. I didn't know nobody that had been a millionaire and now don't have no more money. I was 23, 24 years old. I mean. So how, do so, you, how did you lose your millions? I didn't lose it. We spent it. Oh. <laughs> Shit. I thought it was going to always be like that. I didn't oh, know. Oh, wow. <laughs> so how did, you, how did you make your first millions then? I was a paint contractor. So okay. uh, right out of high school, man, I started knocking on. I, I, I got a job. So. This, we don't have enough time for the whole story, but uh, I got a job knocking on doors. No, I didn't. My mother-in-law got me a job with her friend being a painter's helper. And we were painting million-dollar houses in Beaumont, Texas in the 80s. Hmm. Big houses. And uh, I got really good at that. And then the guy went out of business. And I needed to eat. So I started knocking on doors and said, hey, I'll paint your house for 200 bucks. Well, after that, 
you know, I was really good. I, you go buy the paint and I'd paint your house and you come home and it'd be done. Well, I knocked on one door and this guy said, oh, Alvin, I know you used to work for Richard. Man, we're doing this hotel job over here at the Ridgewood Hotel. We'd love for you to get be our paint contractor if you can get some guys to work for you. So yeah, they'll all come work for me. They're all looking for work. So all the guys for, for, for two or three years that threw me in the closet and made me paint closets were now working for me. Mm. That was amazing. Mm. So wow. that's how I made my money. So that hotel job turned me into a millionaire. And then when the hotel job was over with, we couldn't buy any more work because interest rates were 18%. They weren't building any more houses. Nobody was remodeling their houses. So this was, you know, 80, 89, 90 interest rates were like that. So the construction industry was dead. And I had invested all my money back into my construction business and spent a lot. And we didn't have any more. So, so man, first off, that is inspiring that you were able to, you, you always, what it sounds like, you always find the way to, to keep going. You do. You, you, you found your, you had a company. Your I couldn't guy. quit. Yes, you don't quit. I couldn't kill myself. Yeah. So shit, I had to. Straight up, man. <laughs> and I'm, so, you know, I'm laughing about it and I'm making light of it, but it's so, so true. Mm -hmm. I mean, imagine trying to kill yourself and waking up. It's like jumping off of a building and getting up. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, man, I couldn't even do that right. So it took a long time, man. My family had to nurse me back to health. It took a long time. Uh, you know, they say uh, a, li a life, no, undealt with trauma leads to a lifetime of drama. Mm. So nine years old, I was molested as a little boy. You know, my dad left me when I was 11 years old. I don't know what he did with my mama, but he left me. And that's how I internalized that. So you, you take a broken kid Dreams were stolen early. Daddy walked out on the family, beat mom on, up on the way out the door. Mm. And then, you and then, you know, this same little fat kid with braces that got teased all the time, you take him and put him in a new high school where he doesn't know anybody. And then he graduates high school and he's scared because daddy left. Some dude raped him and, and now he's scared to go off to college. And uh, he talks his girlfriend out of going to college because he don't want to be by himself. And then three years later, they have this little kid. And it's like, oh, shit, this kid is growing up and he needs shoes and he's got teeth. That means he need to eat. And then you give him a bunch of money and then it goes away. Yeah. Man. Man. This is probably the most inspiring episode we've had. Yeah, episode <laughs> well 151, man. So yeah. what, what, 151, what baby yes sir so what assurances have you put in place to make sure you don't go broke again and you will always have something for your family are there certain assurances you've put in place for your life yeah yeah so now everything is done through corporations corporate structures uh waterfalls of cash long-term cash flow through uh multi-family ownership i get a salary i don't get you know, I go make five million this year. I don't put four ninety nine 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 in my bank account. You know, just yeah, it's a business now. Back then, I wanted to be a hundred percent owner. I was twenty something years old. I didn't know no different. You know, I thought, why mama and them tripping? Mama told me she made. My mom sat me down at the table when my dad left home and said, "Alvin, I need to show you." And this is a principle that has stuck with me my whole life, and I can tell you, it's probably the only reason I'm still here. 
mama made like $1,100 a month as a teacher on the first of the month. She showed me her first tenth went to the church, to God. She gave, she gave back to God what was his. And then she did her 10% offering off of $1,100. And then she took the house note and then my lunch money and then the car note and then the light bills. And that's exactly the way she did it. And at the end of the day, she had about a hundred bucks left to live 30 days. And I knew at that point I needed a job. I was 13 years old. And so I went working at grocery stores and cutting grass. But the principal mom taught me that has, again, stuck with me today is that first tenth and that second tenth. She didn't have a third tenth to save and then live on 70%. But what so many people don't do, my pastor, he's ultra rich and he was rich before he started a church. So don't, don't think, you know, it's not because of the church. But he, he, talk, he teaches on living on margins. Live on 70% of your income. First tenth goes to God, second tenth goes to saving, third tenth goes to yourself, and then live on margins of 70%. It doesn't matter if you make 10000 a year or a million a year. If you live on those margins, you'll always be okay. I love that. So, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you, if you still abided by the importance of tithing or, or charity. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and how has that made you stronger and your business stronger? Well, um, it's made me stronger because through all of the ups and downs in my life, I've got a couple of constants and a couple of non-negotiables. The non-negotiables are the tithing and my giving, and it doesn't stop with the church. I'm a generous person. The non-negotiable, and then what that does, Stephen, is built a track record, right? So I've got, I've got history with God. I, got, I know that, that out of all the stuff I've done, all the stuff I've been through, that I know that he's going to always be there for me. It's just like going down the stairs, right? I know that next step is there. So that's what that has done for me in my relationship with him. Mm. I love that. So, Alvin, where are you from real quick? Man, I grew up in Beaumont, Texas. I lived most of my life in Houston and Dallas and Amarillo, Texas. Never been outside of Texas. Why would I want to leave a great state of Texas? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I bet there's plenty of business now, not like back when back when everything was drying up, right? Man, the housing market around here, uh, Frisco, McKinney, Texas. You know, Frisco is the fastest, one of the fastest growing communities in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been the best place to live in America in the last two years. McKinney was the best place to live in America three or four years ago. You cannot buy a single family home in either one of these cities for under a new home. You can't buy for under four hundred thousand. And, you know, I don't know where you guys are, but that's high for Texas. Mm-hmm. I mean, but they, you know, the average median home is probably 750, 800. Wow. And where do you get a city where the freaking average median house is 800, other than California or New York? That's insane. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's insane. Because we, we out here in Arlington and Fort Worth. And yeah, that, that Oh, well, okay. Well, you know what I'm talking about. I didn't know yes, y'all sir. was here in Texas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Right down the street. Yeah, let's meet up. Let's meet up. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> we got to go through Clubhouse and, and, and YouTube and Zoom to meet. <laughs> yeah, we could have yeah. just rolled up to you, huh? I know it. Old oh, school. <laughs> so, oh, go ahead, Steve. Oh, I, just, I just wanted to touch on something he mentioned earlier. He, he glossed over it. It's called, he said, waterfalls of cash. What did you mean by waterfalls of cash? So, in the multifamily space, you know, we collect rent. 
And our goal is to get 14% of every dollar collected to the bottom line. That's so rule of thumb, nine to 14% of every dollar collected in rent could be profit. So after you pay your mortgage, your expenses, your insurance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, we get down to that waterfall of call it 10%. And then uh, if we have investors and partners in our deals, they get a portion of that and we get a portion of that. So it's not a whole lot. So that's why our goal is 20,000 units in five years, 100,000 units in 20 years. And so you just figure out that if we're making $100 per unit on average of $1,000 of rent uh, times 100,000 units, that's our goal. Wow. <laughs> I like that. Big goals, man. Yeah, you Big got goal. it all the way down to the, to the minute percentages. I love that. Yeah, so yes, Alvin, where do you – so at this point now, where do you invest? Do you only invest in Texas? No, we're not geographically challenged at all. We got projects that we're going to do in, from California to Florida, from here to upper Minnesota. Wow. And wh- which, got oh, go ahead. Alabama on the board now. Uh, we should break ground in April. Minnesota on the ground now. We should break ground the end of April. Got to wait for the ground to thaw out up there. Uh, Florida, that may be a summer project. Chino, California, that one's still up in the air. Uh, so we've got a great product that we're partnering with developers all over the place. And, and, and yeah, it's pretty cool. See, you're dropping words that, that I'm, I keep scribbling them down too. You said geographically challenged. Yes. And what do you mean by that? That means anywhere that we can get to, we can get there. Right. And so a lot of businesses are, they make themselves geographically challenged. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, some people say, you know, I want to have an ice cream stand and it's in South Dallas, or I want to taco stand, you know, on the corner of Cooper and 360 or whatever. And that's where they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've always wanted to make money in more than one place. Um, that way you're not affected by any particular market if that's the only thing you got. Cause you even mentioned California and I was going to ask one of my, one of my questions was, um, what like big cities are you, are you all in on and what big cities or, or cities across the country that you would stay away from at all costs? I would stay away from anywhere in California. The only reason I'm doing that deal out there is because the guy already owns the land and he wants our product, but I have no desire to own it. Uh, mm. I'd stay away from New York city or Chicago. I don't actually in the multifamily space, our sweet spot are secondary and tertiary markets. So what do I mean? So a, a secondary city to Dallas would be a Waxahachie or a Midlothian, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a tertiary market would be a Greenville, Texas, or a like that. The people don't move much in those smaller cities. Uh, there's not that much competition uh, in those smaller cities. Even during the pandemic, our residents have paid 100% of their rents. Mm-hmm. They don't have anywhere to go. A lot of them work in industry jobs that were essential. We're here in Dallas, uh, in certain neighborhoods, they're not going to pay because you can't put them out. Uh, here in Dallas, you've got people from all different types of jobs, and a lot of people were affected, you know, uh, from this lockdown, where in a lot of those smaller cities, they are more industry-driven. So that whole city was almost essential in those markets. Man. So, so in one thing, I'm happy you brought up, you go out of state, you have, you're not, you're not geographically challenged. So how do you go about building those relationships for people that are scared to go outside of where they're from? Ooh, 
Well, I would say this. I have a problem with people that are scared to do something they should be doing. So, I mean, I'll take the horse to the water, but I'm not going to waste my time drowning him. So, (laughs) if they're scared, then I've, you know, there's a reason, and I'm not going to try to talk them out of that. I remember dating this chick one time, and she told me, I'm selfish. I'm I'm like, girl, you're not selfish. Trust me, if somebody tell you something about they self, they mean it. (laughs) (laughs) So, if you're telling me you're scared, then I I believe you, and I'm not going to. Because there's going to come a situation we're going to have to do something that you're already scared to get in it. So that means I'm going to have to convince you again and again and again. And I'm not going to do that. Like the way you think, fam. <laughs> I have a question. I have a, like a, a little series of questions for you real quick. Okay. I, I'd, like to, I'd like to hear your answer on this. Let's say you're broke. You, all, for some reason, you're broke again. You don't have any money, whatever. Oh, but you do. Here it goes. There are three scenarios. You have 1000 bucks in your pocket. What's your play? You have 5000 in your pocket. What's your play? You have 10000 in your account. What's your play to get back to getting, you know, being rich again? Like three different scenarios. Start with 1000 Mine would be the same with either dollar amount. If I had either of those dollar amounts and I was dropped in a, in a city where I knew no one, I would go find me a house and I would buy it. That's what I would do. With no money. With no money. I'd go find me a house that needed some work. I'd find me a lender that would give me a loan based on the after repair value and I would get to work. (laughs) I'd do the work myself. I'd find me some guys at Home Depot, whatever it took. So I'd use that thousand dollars to pay for my appraisal and my application fee. If I had five thousand, I'd go buy, or ten thousand, and I'd go buy some of my supplies. But I would go buy me a house with no money, and that's how I would come up. Straight hustling, man. <laughs> I mean, that's that's all I know how to do, right? So if I was a cook, I'd go make a hamburger. I'm a real <laughs> estate guy, so I'm going to buy me a house. I don't care where it is, what it looks like. And and really, I'm gonna go buy the one that is I only got a thousand bucks, and I probably don't have no credit. So I'm probably gonna go buy one that nobody else wants. That looks like it needs to be torn down, and I'm gonna put twenty thousand dollars in it because you're gonna give me a loan because I'm gonna talk you into it because I'm a great <laughs> storyteller. And when I get through telling the story, you're gonna believe that I can do it whether I can or not, and you're gonna give me the loan, and you're probably gonna come out there and watch me. But I'm gonna get it done, and I'm gonna sell it, and I'm gonna come back up. Wow. <laughs> I like that. See, because uh, I know me and you are both, we're both big Master P fans. And that, that was a question. Someone asked Master P said one time, he goes, if I lose it all, it don't bother me. Because I've already been down to the ghetto. I've been through everything. And I got a billion dollars worth of knowledge. I'm going to get it right back. I'll, and you have that same mentality. I love that. Yeah. I love it. Man, that's nice. What else, Stephen? Yeah, we got a ton of questions, man. <laughs> we got a ton of questions. Um, okay. I was going to, uh, I guess the big one was uh, what sacrifices does it take to get into the millions, to, to, to reach the millions? Sacrifice. Um, hard work, man, the, the time frame. So it's not, for me, it's not about the money. It's the pursuit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the journey. So, you know, if you're moving fast enough in life or in your purpose, because purpose has a lot to do with it, um, you will create a draft where everything that you need is going to come behind you. Everything that you need to support what you're doing. I believe that. Um, 
sacrifice, uh, man, time. I mean, you got to close out the noise. You got to focus and not on the shiny things because there's so many shiny objects. You know, I think a lot of one of the problems with a lot of entrepreneurs is they see a lot of people getting a lot of things or Johnny's making money over here. Susie's making money doing that. Oh, Joe's making money doing that. And they can't figure out what they want to do because they're chasing the money. But when you get, I tell you, there are two great days in a man's life. The day he was born and the day he figures out why. And when you can figure out why you were born, you will, and, and can operate in that. So I don't want to preach, but I'm going to say somewhere in the Bible, it says that if we honor God, you know, he'll give us the desires of our heart, right? So it's kind of like having a, a child. And if you want your kid to have uh, white teeth and they brush their teeth every day, you know, they're going to have white teeth. So you're going to do whatever you can to give that kid what they want to have, because that's what you want them to have, right? That's mm -hmm. kind of the relationship with God. So when we want what he wants for us, it's so easy for him to get it to us because that's what he already wants for us to have. So when we're operating in our purpose and our passion, it's not about the money. He's going to give us all the resources we need to make that thing happen. Mm -hmm. And that is the way I operate. So I need 20,000 units of housing. I need a hundred million dollars to make that, to just to get that started. Guess what's coming in the door? hundred million dollars. Cause I'm in my purpose. I'm in my passion. I'm doing what I believe I'm supposed to be doing for this season of my life. And God's not going to withhold, withhold any good thing, any good thing from those of us that love him and uphold him and do what we're supposed to be doing. Mm. I just had to say that. Preach. <laughs> <laughs> so I would, I mean, I, I might already know, but so who is the biggest influence on your life? Today? Uh, sure, today, yeah. Man, probably my spiritual father, my pastor, Keith Craft. Okay. Yeah, probably the biggest influence in my life today. Nice, nice. And that's because that's you said he's, a, you mean, you mentioned he's a, a multimillionaire too, right? Yeah. And that, that's, that's interesting because, you know, he jumped from that to being a pastor. That's like a, that's a rare, that's a different step, different way to do it. He felt, he, his, he felt as though, so here's a guy that is uh, at 15 years old, met his girlfriend, and they still married today. So that's, that, and he's 62 years old. He knew at 15 that that was going to be his wife, and he asked her to be their girlfriend, and, and so they knew that. So his whole life has been structured. Uh, this is a guy that teaches on margins, right? <clears throat> so when I first came to... And the name of our church is Elevate Life Church. Elevate your thinking, you'll elevate your life. So those are the kind of thinking, that's, that's, you know, that's my, all of the one-liners and stuff you hear come from that kind of thought process. So when I walked into that church in 2013, I saw excellence, like everywhere. Mm. And then I see pastor come out and he's 6'8", 280, and he's got, you know, 25-inch guns and no fat. And I'm like, okay, this is a guy that I could, follow because not only is a church in excellence his body is in excellence he can control his appetite i might be able to listen to you i you know i'm i'm hard-headed enough you can't tell me something and you 500 pounds Wait, man, come on dude really so yeah, and, yeah. no disrespect but that's just me mm -hmm. so when i saw that uh 
that's the kind of guy I want to sit at his feet because now I'm, I'm looking at your family. I see your kids, your grandkids. Everybody is like, yeah, we all have problems, but everybody's good. I mean, this is not by accident. This is a life of 45 years of since he was 15 of, of having plans and walking it out. So that's long-term wealth. So he had 40, he had been a, he had been a, uh, so he had a deal called Strike Force. You know, big old guys breaking iron and breaking out of handcuffs. That was part of his ministry uh, when he was in the marketplace. So um, after that, at 40, he knew, he said he never wanted to be a pastor, but he felt called to, to start a church in Frisco uh, to raise up men, mighty men, to go out and take the kingdom and, and really do some great things for God. So he believes he's called to raise up millionaires for the kingdom uh, in men. So you can't listen to a broke dude tell you how to be a millionaire. So he had to have his money first. <laughs> That's real. That's real. That's awesome, man. So like getting into the business side and, and you, you began to grow, you know, after, after knocking on doors and painting houses and stuff like that, you know, start your humble beginnings and you begin to like start putting the pieces together. How did you learn how to like, how to manage teams and to trust others to help grow your business? Wow. That's good, man. I'm still learning that, but I'll tell you it, that didn't happen until. So I've had two mortgage companies, a mortgage bank in between, in between being a paint contractor and where we are today. And I'll tell you, when we started this, uh, I'd already had our first 110 units. We had already bought our, I think we were on our third property. We had almost a thousand units. And I was driving one day saying, God, man, I'm tired of this. I just wish somebody would show up and let me pay them to lead this team. And of course, nobody showed up. So I started picking up some books on leadership. You know, the first book I read on leadership was John Maxwell's The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Mm. Great book. Uh, so then I started learning how, you know, the, the concept of the mastermind and what that was all about. And then I read his book about how to win friends and influence people. Uh, you know, I'm a master storyteller. I, I think in pictures and analogies. So uh, influencing people and winning friends is really, really good and easy for me because because I'm a likable guy. Uh, so leading teams and and man, that, that is literally the hardest part because I treat people the way I want to be treated. I pay our associates the way I want to be paid for what they're doing, right? And it breaks my heart when I have a maintenance guy that I'm paying 25, 28 bucks an hour when I know the market is 18, 19, and then you steal a freaking plunger or you steal a sewer machine from me, you know? Mm. that. So it's hard for me to manage people. So I'm my circle's kind of small. Uh, my leadership team is kind of small. And, and as we're growing right now, one of the challenge, most challenging things are finding the right people to fill out all these seats uh, because I need some really, really, really smart people and not going to hire people because they're my friends and, and I want to see them do good. So that, yeah. that's really hard for me. Oh, now you brought me something. You said your circle's really small. Yeah. You said your leadership team's really small. What do you look for in a person for them to be on your leadership team? Grit is first because cause grit outworks talent all day. I mean, uh, so, so grit's first. And then nowadays they have to be super smart. So uh, a lot of people want to uh, 
hire people just like them. I know my weaknesses and I know what I'm not good at and I know what I don't want to do. So I try to put people around me to, to, to compensate for my weaknesses. You know, I'm not going to focus on those and make them better. I'm going to focus on what I'm good at and go get better at that and hire some people for my holes. You ever do any coaching? You sound like a, you'd be a good coach, like a, a sports or anything. Uh, I'm not a good, I'm, I, I don't, um, you know, I, I've, I'm, I'm a John Maxwell certified coach. I teach, you know, I teach and train and work with all of our staff and associates. Again, I told you I'm hard. I'm, I'm hard on excuses. So, <laughs> you know, I'm on clubhouse and, and doing stuff. And I'm like, I can't believe somebody's still listening to me after I said that because <laughs> It's like, oh, how do I add value to somebody? Well, you just like maybe find something that they're doing and try to help them do it better. Mm. You know, just like. <laughs> yeah, sometimes the simple answer is the best answer, right? Yeah, right, right. Oh, that's, that's, that's great, man. Um, I have a lot, of, lot more questions for you. And you got well, any questions, Micah? Or? Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Steve. No. Go ahead, yeah, because I've been listening and uh, just I'm writing notes. <laughs> you know, you asked about me being a coach. One of the things we do is we, I'm not a coach, but I'm a paid coach. We do have an educational platform, uh, the multifamily monopoly of that one. And uh, what we do with that is we actually teach our students how to buy multifamily assets. And at the end of the day, uh, our students actually wind up owning the building when we're done. So it's a 12 month coaching program. Mm. Uh, there are a lot of coaching programs and I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying anything good, bad or indifferent. What we were doing before, I'll say what we were doing before we had four levels. We had a, a masterclass coaching program at 2,500. So it's mod 40 modules that you can watch. And then we had a $5,000 coaching program that was like, uh, four or five months, and then it was twenty-five and fifty thousand. Where at the end of the day, at the end of those twelve months, you've got a lot of information, but there was no actual asset for you to go buy. So a lot of students get really, really frustrated. Man, I know all this information, but now I go out here and find out that I can't buy a deal because because everything's overpriced. So what we've done with our new new construction opportunities. We're taking actually 20 students that have 50,000 bucks. We're putting that into a 506B fund. Those 20 students get walked through a class of development to keys, where we teach them everything from building their building to leasing it up. And at the end of that 12 month process, those 20 students actually own a $4 million building. That's amazing. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> You touched on something that I would want to. Can you explain what a 506B is? Yes. So I'm going to tell you in layman's terms because uh, I'm not an attorney. Gotcha. The 506B is a regulation under the Securities and Exchange Commission laws that allows investors that are non-accredited, uh, and I'll tell you, touch on that in a minute, to invest into a syndicated deal Syndicated meaning a transaction where we pull people's money together and buy a, an asset. A 506C is a <clears throat> same type of law under that same rule or same type of rule under that same law that requires investors to be accredited. And an accredited investor is an investor that makes, I think it's over 250000 a year for more than three years consecutive and has 
the probability of making it again or has a million dollars in uh, net worth excluding their personal home. Mm -hmm. So there are a couple of, couple of qualifiers there for a accredited investor and then the non-accredited investor is the 506B rate. So, so we're, we're taking that man and, and we're taking that education deal so again, a lot of people want to know how can I do, how can I buy assets? We're we're actually putting them into a brand new appreciating uh, 27 unit building, 20 partners. You know, by the time it costs us four million to build it, that includes the land at two dollars a foot. So there's some variables there, right? But um, that building will appreciate by the time it's built, probably to about four million, and then over a seven year seven year period at a at a modest six cap be worth about five and a half million bucks. Mm. Right. So not only is it an investment on your education, it's an, it's a literal investment it's that a literal could investment. a literal investment that's going to grow and, and make your bank account fatter. That's I've never heard of anything like that, man. That's no, nobody's doing it, man. I mean, there are a lot of gurus out here that are teaching this stuff and they're really good at it. But what we have been able to do is we've taken the construction experience, the mortgage experience, the multifamily experience and the coaching experience and packaged it up to where I can give somebody what they look for. So mm -hmm. two, two key things, how are we paid? We are paid based on the problems that we solve. Mm. So if I solve a hunger problem, I work at McDonald's, I make $5 an hour because you can go next door to Jack in the box. If I'm a heart surgeon and you got a heart attack, I'm going to get paid real well because I'm probably going to save your life. So what I've done with this education platform is we have people that want to learn. We got people going through the process of learning and don't have a product to invest in when they're done. And we have a construction team and experience. So we just put all that together and we can teach, we can coach, we can guide, we can build. And then at the end of the day, we can deliver the asset. And what you're going to pay us to teach you to do this will probably be realized at with depreciation write-off and your returns, probably a break-even point about three and a half to four years. So your $50,000 that you're going to pay us to teach you will be a wash in about four years. And then you still got your investment into the, uh, into the asset that will yield you some great returns. It's the best college education you'll ever get. <laughs> <laughs> I wish college was set up like that too. Man. Know, right? be, that would be, we don't have any um, student loan problems in this country, right? No, we would not. <laughs> <laughs> We'd have student assets. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah. Let me see. I had, I had a bunch of questions here. Yeah, uh, Michael, what's up, man? You, you like, you like, <laughs> man, I'm taking it all in. I, I'm, uh, I didn't wrote down this book. You uh, said 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. Cause everything you're saying, it definitely resonates. You know, that's a good book. That's a good one. Okay. Can okay. we ask, can we ask what your net worth is? Yeah. Uh, balance sheet today shows about 6.7 million personal. 6.7 million. And our how much company, real estate have you moved? Our company, our company, the replacement values of our properties today is about 125. I, do you happen to know Emmett Smith personally? I do not. Oh, okay. Because I know he's like a big, well, I've heard he's a big mover in the real estate and commercial real estate in Dallas. So I just. That's what they say. Just, yeah. So he's got Emma Smith Construction Company, Emma Smith Realty. Uh, yeah. yeah. He, has, he has several businesses. And that, that brings me to another question. How do you, because you mentioned tying it all together. How do you structure like your, all your different businesses to where they function as one? 
where it's vertically integrated. So our construction company supports our, our, our apartment business, our management company supports the apartment business. Um, with our new construction platform, we partner with a 30 year old company. This is so dope. Check this out. Mm -hmm. So we, I, I needed a lot of money a couple of years ago and I didn't have it. So we said, we're going to go build some houses and that way I can come back in the apartment game with 15 million. So we went out and found 81 acres in Greenville, Texas. It took me a year to get the loan. We got the loan done. And now that the loan is done, 30 days after we started construction, a uh, national company came in and offered us 10 million for 200 of the 360 lots. So that was great, but it was a bummer. But what I found out during the process, so we talked about the journey, right? It's never the destination. Of figuring out how to build 300 houses in a year, I found a product and a process that has allowed us to do our apartments. So now instead of going out and buying all these old apartments, like I was talking about, we've got a company that is 30 years old that was selling SIP panels only, structurally insulated panels to builders and developers. Okay. I went to them and told them what we wanted to do. And they began to put their heads together to see how they could give me a complete envelope that they could white label and say, Alvin, this is your product. So this 30 year old company has given me the ability, the bandwidth and the authority to go out and sell on their behalf, uh, their product. Why would they do that? Well, I'm gonna bring them a lot of money, but why would I do that? Because I want a manufacturing plant for ourselves in Texas. So all of these wall frames for this, for our building system come out in four by eight panels. So instead of looking at a house being built a two by four at a time, the walls come out in four by eight panels. They're structurally insulated. You don't have a light bill in a 2000 square foot house over 40 bucks. <laughs> but the reason I want a plant in Texas is because we're going to go to the penal system and the parole board, and we're going to give nonviolent offenders jobs in our manufacturing plant. And once they're trained, we're going to deploy them to build our product because you don't have to know how to swing a hammer to build this. So I'm working really hard to bring that plant a thousand units of housing so that they will give us a franchise plant that's never been done before in Texas to where we can employ nonviolent offenders and give people some careers and go put the newest stock of apartments and housing on the planet in the next five years. That's the goal. Mm. That's what's up, man. Loving that. <laughs> I, I, I love how like you're, you're busy. You have there's a theme going on. You're always wanting to not just you know build a lot and help and, and make a lot of money. You're always you're always trying to tie in, trying to help other people at the same time. Well, man, we we're in the people business. This we're supposed to be with people, and I believe if I can help make what you want to happen come true, just kind of like that thing that we were talking about with God, right? If I know that's what you want and I give it to you, then you're going to be kind of receptive to what I want you to do. So if I can solve your problem and make your dream come true, then my dreams automatically going to come true. Mm -hmm. Zig Ziglar said that. So, so how, do you, how do you solve the housing crisis in the United States? We go build a whole bunch of apartments. <laughs> we go build a whole bunch of houses. How do we do that? I partner with people and get, I, all I need is the first hundred million. The first hundred million, I'll turn it into a billion in about six years. We go build a whole bunch of houses whole bunch of apartments. How do we cure the homeless problem? We put people in houses. How do I cure the hunger problem? I go, go make a whole lot of money 
and teach people how to feed themselves. I, I can't cure the problem by being part of the problem. I got to be the solution. Mm. So if I, if I need to cure the housing problem, I need to learn how to build some houses and get some money to do it and show other people that if you partner with me, you can do good while doing good. I'll let you, you can do extremely good while doing a whole lot of good. And so how do you, I mean, it sounds like if I was a politician and I spoke with someone that, that's telling me all that, I'd, I'd really want to work with them and, get, and help the city give them resources to accomplish that. Have you started working with cities or, or, or politicians or yeah, anything? Man. Ain't, no, ain't no government going to come save you. Biden ain't going to come save you. <laughs> free money ain't free money. Nobody going to come Oh, man, where's my stimulus check? Man, please try to qualify to not get a stimulus check. Mm. Mm. So let's say I have a portfolio because now you got me. You got me interested. I might want to hop into this multifamily game. Might need to do that. Okay. I got a portfolio of single-family homes. Can I 1031 them into into a multifamily? It depends. Okay. Are you the maintenance man and the manager of all those uh, single-family homes? No. Nah, keep your money coming in. Just go make some more money and get in the multifamily game. Okay. Okay. Like the way you do that. Okay. I mean, if if those was causing you a headache, and again, you was changing the light bulbs, I'd say absolutely sell that junk and put your money somewhere else. But you got your money working for you right now, so it's no different than having an apartment complex. You don't have a job; you have an investment. Mm. That's a good point. So. Especially right now, what what kind of um, okay, what kind of trials and tribulations has COVID caused for your business businesses, and, and what opportunities has it brought? Uh, trials. We've got uh, today. Well, I'll tell you, we wrote off about four hundred thousand in bad debt last year from rent collections, so that hurt. Uh, but we gave that much of a of a fresh start because realistically. The moratorium of, of evictions is going on right now. And if they lifted it January 31st, if we ran down there and filed eviction on 50 people, you won't get in court till June or July. So I may as well write, the, write that money off and take the stress off of my residents and let them go out and try to make some money so they can pay me for January. So we did that. Mm. Um, what kind of opportunities has it created? I'll tell you what, on March 21st, when everything was shutting down here in Texas and I didn't know if my residents were going to be able to pay their rent in April, I put my hand in my head and I had one of those moments to where if I was not as grounded as I am today, uh, it could have been one of those moments where the devil would say, man, go ahead and jump off the building, man. And then when that thought pops in my head, I go, no, because I would just get up with a freaking broken leg. So keep talking <laughs> to me like that. <laughs> so, so the opportunities when everybody else was staying home. So I live in Cedar Hill. My office is in McKinney. So I drive an hour every day. Uh, When the roads were free and clear, nobody driving through Dallas looked like a ghost town. And I kept coming to my office. I sat here and I made phone calls and I made relationships. And I have made relationships during the COVID crisis that's going to bring us this $100 million by April. Because everybody that kept working, we, we was all doing the same thing. So, man, we, we don't have six months to make up. i tell you, I went, I, uh, I posted a video on my Facebook about a month or so ago. Um, 
about I decided. So I decided, you know, I used to tell myself that I, uh, I was undeserving of really nice things uh, or subconsciously, not out loud, but subconsciously, I just didn't feel good when I bought a $150,000 car. Subconsciously, it didn't feel good when I had on $300 shoes, right? And even though I liked it, and finally I decided that uh, God knows he could trust me with the money. I know I'm a good steward. I know that I'm a good person and I know that I'm doing the right thing with everything that I've been given charge over. So I decided that I'm going to go get rich. I decided that just the other day, right? And I was sitting in my truck at this neighborhood where we're about to buy a lot, where it's under contract. The lot costs more than my house costs today. And we're about to build a big old house. And I sat up there and I was sitting, it's not about the house or the lot or the money or any of that. I sat up there and I rolled my window down and I, it was quiet. And I said, to my, I said out loud, I said, man, it sure is quiet up here. And the thought popped in my head that there's no traffic up here. Mm. No traffic up here. So what does that mean? People aren't willing to do what it takes to get to the top. There's no traffic up there. No yeah, traffic. I love that. I love that. So I kept pushing through when everybody else was at home, waiting on a stimulus check, waiting on somebody to call them, waiting on something to happen, waiting to see what was going to happen waiting on Trump or Biden or somebody to come save them, I kept coming to work and we pushed through. There was no traffic on the road. There was no traffic up there. I'm driving through Dallas at 95 miles an hour at 7.30 in the morning because there's no traffic. That's what I did. I kept pushing through. I love that. Lack of traffic made it made your ride a lot easier. Lack, lack of traffic, baby. <laughs> wow, man. Yeah. Do you have any funny stories? Because like, like someone sees you, you're like, oh, he ain't no millionaire. And they, the way they treat you differently. And then they find out that you're like actual multimillionaire. Do you have any funny stories like that? Well, no, because no. I, man, I don't consider myself a millionaire, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we got a lot of millions under management. My balance sheet looks great and all that stuff is good. None of that stuff is the defining factor. Mm. The thing that defines me, man, you guys said, hey, will you be on my podcast? So I must have said something that grabbed your attention. So if I can do that and sprinkle a little light, man, spread a little hope, tell that old man to get his ass up off the couch, it ain't never too late. That's what, that's, that's, that's what inspires me. That, that, the money, that's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I can't wait to buy me a Cullinan. I'm not yet. Uh, I ordered a jet the other day. I did that. I applied for an airplane for a jet loan because <laughs> I got places to go and people to see. Uh, I don't know if they're going to give it to me, but I applied for it. Uh, yeah, I want all of that, but those aren't the defining things. Why do I want a jet? Because I got to go to Alabama on Monday, and I want to be home on Monday night, and American only got two flights that day. <laughs> I, I need to go see somebody on Tuesday, but I'm coming back from Alabama on Monday. Mm -hmm. And if I'm going and recreating these kind of opportunities, this – the money, these kind of opportunities for people to have a better life, for people to live better, for people to make more money, for people to be in a better environment. I need the tools, so that's all. Have, have you built your business where it could run without you? It can today. So our management company and the properties that we have today under management can run without me. The development part of me being out front, 
I got the sickle in my hand, cutting the trees down, telling people we're going to build 20,000 units in five years. That can't do it without me yet. But okay. once I get the machine started and get the money relationships in place, somebody will be able to come behind me and finish it. Now, now do you have any tips on how to build a business that you could actually sell? And do you ever have any plans on selling your business? Well, our business is a 501c3 nonprofit, so I don't own it and it can't be sold. So that's a really great thing. So mm -hmm. I just get a salary here and, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of protections there. Um, so this is a legacy play. Um, um, people always talk about building a business to sell, mm -hmm. build a business that make money. And if somebody buys it, you win. Cause if it sounds like you building it to sell, that means you, you putting duct tape on shit that need to have a clamp on it because you're just trying to get to the sale date. You know, you got super glue where you're supposed to have a screw in it. And I don't like to hear that because that's exactly what it sounds like to me. Build a business to where it looks like you get to stay here for the rest of your life and make a bunch of money. And then if somebody comes and buys it, guess what? You can sell that and feel good about it. You don't have to worry about the tire falling off when they turn the corner. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> up here slinging hoopties, huh? Because you know what I mean. <laughs> That's what's up, man. That's real. Build a business yeah. that makes money. That's true. So, okay, because I'm really interested in this. So, you said you guys made connections during COVID. Like, did those connections like bring down your? Did you guys have more people paying rent? Did it bring down your? Uh, did it increase your occupancy? So, how did that work? Those connections had nothing to do with our in-place business. Mm -hmm. Those connections had everything to do with the forward vision. Because mm -hmm. everybody I was talking to was already in what they were in, and they couldn't do nothing about my situation or theirs. But what are we going to do for tomorrow? So we started having real talks, real conversations with real people. And, uh, you know, you just, again, you know, it's thin, the air is thin up there. You know, everybody can't run five miles in Denver because it's, you know, it's, that's the mile high. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's the air is thin. There's, it's quiet up there. There's no traffic. So we, we just pushed through and got to a lot of the decision makers. And because everybody that was on the, on the salary, they was working from home. The guys making the decisions are in the office. And that's the guys I was talking to. Really so they were like doing that. the same shit I was, banging their head against the wall. <laughs> So we have, we supported each other through that process. And I got, I mean, I made some great relationships I would have never made had COVID never happened. That's true. I, I'm in the same boat. Like, man, yeah. I, even like Clubhouse, man. With even COVID like Clubhouse. Man, I, I wouldn't have met you. podcast this year. I got my education platform off the ground. We started last October, but we really pushed through and got all of this stuff like buttoned up to where, I look like I know what I'm talking about now. So, yeah, it's, it's been good. It's been good. <laughs> Speaking of Clubhouse, I heard you were on the stage with Grant Cardone. Do you know him personally? I've been to his 10X conference. Uh, so I met him. And the thing that made him connect with me on Clubhouse, I asked him um, when I was at 10X, I said, Grant, I see you. You got Cardone University. You've got 20 years, 30 years in real estate. One of your guys on the platform is Donald Trump's campaign manager. Are you thinking about running for president in 2024 or whatever the next, I don't even know what year it is now. Yeah, 2024. Yeah, yeah. 
And he said, no, that's too soon. So when he got on Clubhouse and he popped in the room, he came in our room. We had like 400 and some people came in there. Grant came in and went up to about 700. And I said, Grant, you remember me? He said, Alvin, how would I remember you? I said, I'm the guy that asked you if you were running for president and you told me it was too soon. He said, I do remember you. I'm only going to run if you run with me. Ooh. And I said, bet, Cardone Johnson, 2024. <laughs> so every time we go in the room together and he's in there and if I get a chance to get on the floor, I say, hey, man, 2024, Cardone Johnson. So uh, we keeping that, you know, that's just trying to – and Grant is the guy that got me doing this jump. Grant said the reason we are not where we want to be is because of obscurity. Nobody knows who you are or what you do. Man, that that is if powerful. If it never been for that statement, you'd have never seen me on Clubhouse. I wouldn't be doing this. I wouldn't have been so active on social media because I was good. But I'm not where I want to be because nobody knows who I am or what I do. Well, we're about so. to know you after this. Everybody in the short-term rental spaces and uh, multifamily <laughs> space is going to know you after this because we promote, we promoting the hell out of you. Bet. <laughs> yeah, I got to get with you. If you ever have some vacancies, you call us up. We, we, Man, we y'all right here in Dallas, y'all just need to pull up, baby. Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll pull up to Cedar Hill or McKinney. I'm right down the street from Cedar yeah, Hill. So. Absolutely. Anytime, I mean, really, I got an open-door policy. I don't have so many people come from clubhouse, ladies in here going, who the hell is that? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like real time. So, y'all, anytime, anytime. Yeah, shoot us the office hours. I'll roll up there, man. I'll do it. I'll do it. Heck, yeah. Cool. Oh man, what? So what's the what's the best piece of advice you give to some to someone starting out? Uh, and yeah, starting out on their journey. Wow, that's so much, man. Right people, right place, right time, right things happen for you. Alignment yes. before assignment. That's the key. Alignment before assignment. It doesn't matter what you do if you're doing it with the wrong people. But if mm. me and you are aligned in, in, in our thoughts, we think alike. If, if our hearts are aligned, there's nothing we can't do. So alignment before assignment. So that, that, those are some of the, 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 the key principles of our church. Alignment before assignment, the right people in the right place at the right time, the right things are going to happen for you. Um, elevate your thinking. You can elevate your life. Pick up a book. Uh, get get serious about your education. Uh, if you if it's real estate, yeah, get serious about that, man. We, I don't know, I don't I don't know how to tell somebody how to be successful. Just go do the freaking work. <laughs> I mean, if you got to bump into the wall, you're gonna figure out. Damn it, I wasn't supposed to be there. You're gonna find the doorway. Just go do the work. Do it, man. Do it. I guess one one follow up question: What what is a like a worst piece of advice you've heard people try to give other people that are starting? That's a bad thing that people have been telling someone. I've heard a lot of people talk about research and research and research, and I understand data. Trust me, I do. But man, there's no research like doing the work. You know, I you could read a book all day on how to pull a battery out of a car, but you're not gonna you know you could YouTube it and all this old fancy stuff but you're not gonna know how to do it until you put the wrench on the nut and pull the battery out of the car. So just get started. So I, I get it, research, 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 but so many people uh, get, what is it, analysis paralysis or something like where they get so much research, they're so freaking smart, they can't do nothing. 
Mm-hmm. And but I'll tell you the first, the best thing, the worst mistake I've made in real estate is I didn't count the costs. I've mm-hmm. done some rehabs where I thought my budgets were good and they weren't. Mm-hmm. I have bought multifamily properties where we had nine year, 10 year tenants, and I thought that was good. So I didn't factor in any rehab money. Uh, mm-hmm. Count the costs. That's the biggest deal. That's in any piece of real estate. Count your costs. You make your money when you buy it. And if you underdo your budget just to get in the deal, I'm telling you, you starting out on a freaking banana peel because it's going to go quick the wrong way. So count the costs. And if you don't have enough money to do it right, don't do it because it's going to eat you. Mm. Some golden advice today, Micah. Yes, sir. That was golden. <laughs> that was golden. Man, man, Alvin, it's been a pleasure, man, having you on. I'm oh, definitely, my, man. I'm definitely going to uh, be pulling up on you. And I don't know, we might do, you might be the uh, guest for episode 200. We'll see. Let's do it. <laughs> hey, man, we're having a clubhouse live at Texas Live on fe- February 19th through 21st. Clubhouse live at Texas Live, baby. We got 150 people, 200 people coming in. We making everybody send in a negative COVID test before they come within three days of the event. Mm-hmm. So we're being socially responsible right there in Arlington at Texas Live. And you said February 19th? Uh, that Friday and Saturday, yes. I uh, will be there. Uh, Good. I'm, uh, I need I just y'all send me an uh, email so we could get you the Evite. Okay. So what we did, what we did, we, um, so we got rooms blocked. We got uh, meeting rooms. We're expecting about 100 people. We made it 300 bucks, so nobody had to bear the burden of the $15,000 hotel. They're going to feed us on Friday and lunch on Saturday. So, I mean, yeah, we got some dope people coming in for that. <laughs> We're going to be there. I can't wait. Bet. Bet. I'm going nice. to Clubhouse Live in Texas Live. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> First Clubhouse Live event, baby. We did that right here in Texas. I yes, love sir. it. So, so where's the best place uh, people can find you, Alvin? AlvinHopeJohnson.com. Alvin Hope Johnson on IG and Facebook. Com. Nice. Well, thank you so much for hopping on. This has been an amazing episode, man. man and, yeah, yeah, we learned so much and we got we got a lot of a lot of studying to do. A lot of studying yeah. to do. I when we here, I, I mean that anytime y'all want me, y'all got my email. You got the best email, so I always answer that one. <laughs> uh, uh, my phone number is in it. I sent you the reply, so you got all my numbers. So anytime, we're right here. Let's do awesome. It. All right, Michael, Steve. Appreciate y'all, man. All, all right, right thanks. Man. And anytime y'all get free on a Sunday morning, man, Elevate Life Church, Frisco. Frisco? Come, come get with it. Yeah, man. Okay. Man, we done drove an hour to do some worse stuff than go to church, so don't be thinking <laughs> that's too far. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> for real. <laughs> so, so don't be acting like that. Oh, that's yeah. too far now. You can go way further than that. We've way worse. We've flown farther than that, especially. <laughs> for real. That's a fact. That's a fact. Uh, but yeah, thank you, man. Yeah, thank you, and oh, we definitely gonna connect, man. All right, I look forward to it. Okay. All right, Ben. All right. Later. That was episode 151 of your favorite. Airbnb VRBO short-term rental real estate podcast in the world. Yes, it was. That was a great episode. Learned a lot from Alvin and we will be back again next week with another exciting guest. And uh, we got anything to take us out with Steve? 
Uh, keep grinding. Yeah, keep grinding. Uh, yeah, follow us at Live Let Thrive on uh, IG, and you can send us an email, Live Let Thrive at gmail.com. And we are out. Dream on, Later. dreamer. Yeah. Life of a dreamer. <laughs> Appreciate y'all, man. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Live Let Thrive. Be sure to tune in next week for all the latest in the world of Airbnb and all that entails. Bye-bye.